All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stuff Jesus Said podcast. I'm Eric Payton. And I'm Corey Nickel. And this is the show where we uh, pick something that Jesus said, and we talk about it for about an hour. We have a special guest in the studio tonight. Studio. You mentioned studio and not uh, spare bedroom. Wow, spare we're bedroom upgrading. studio, yes. Probably because is, of these nice new mic stands that we have. Yeah, it's still the same room. That's but, right. But uh, <laughs> we've, we've, spare we've upgraded. We've got Pastor Richard in the house tonight. <laughs> yeah, Pastor Richard, uh, do you want to say hi? Hi there. He's uh, he's my boss. He's <laughs> a good friend. He's uh, He also married my wife and I. Fun. Fun fact. He's a pastor at uh, Lutheran Church of Hope, where, where I work, and we're... Corey attends, yeah, um, and he's, as Jeremy would say, forgotten more than I will ever know. Whoa. And I, I steal that from that him. That is so frightening. That is, <laughs> that is frightening. So basically, you're you're being evaluated right now. It's like your job I'm evaluation being, performance. I'm being evaluated. How good yes. do you know Jesus? Yes, and he's about right. to tell you. No, he he's just going to tell me what <laughs> I need to know. Yeah, yeah. See, the thing is, he do, he'll know if he's evaluated because I'll start asking coaching questions. There you yeah. go. What went well? well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, Richard chose the uh, the topic tonight, which I'm really excited because all I said to him was, well, well, first I said, you know, you get to choose a topic, and he uh, he decided to go with the most difficult one he could think of because that's that's what Richard would do. Yeah, he's he's the smartest theologian there is, and decided to tackle the one when when he read it. I was like, man, that's that's a passage that I skip over every time. Hmm. That's one I don't even know what yeah. is going on. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm excited to uh, hear your thoughts on that because I don't have a clue what it means. Uh-huh. Well, <laughs> I, 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 if I can, which means I can fake well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Only I, truth spews from I, your mouth, I, Pastor yeah, Richard. I, I think we'll have some good stuff coming. So, um, if you haven't already, uh, yeah, we've got our our Twitter handles on the. Um, in the show notes, uh, you can send some questions, some topic suggestions if you have any. Uh, and we also have the, the email set up that we set up last time, stuffjesussaidpodcast at gmail.com. So feel free to send comments, questions. If we got something wrong or you have to, you want to throw something in, send it to that and we'll, uh, we'll read it on the show. Um, but we're just going to jump in. We, there's some brand new like Christian news that's just come out in the last couple yeah. days. But I feel like we got to mention. Right. It's, you know, in, in teenage language, there's someone spilled the tea. They stirred up the tea, they spilled it, and now it's getting everywhere. Did you know that spilled the tea was a... Um, a teenage term. Yeah. yeah. I mean, some, someone's starting the drama and the, the gossip and the rumors. Yeah. Spilled the tea. That's, that's rather clever. That's yeah. what a, that's what a um, middle school principal would know. That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, but there was this whole situation with John MacArthur and Beth Moore that came out. I don't know. You saw the, you both saw the video. Yeah. Well, audio clip of it. Yeah. The video was really just a picture, but yeah, yeah, Eric brought this to my attention and he just let me listen to it. And all of a sudden my jaw just drops Hmm. and I'm not, I don't even have words for the things that I'm hearing. Um, and, and, you brought me then to Beth Moore's Twitter and just her response to the situation. Yeah. So, and you've, you've been looking through it a little bit more than me, but do you want to give the basis for what John MacArthur has said? Um, yeah. So basically it was, uh, it was some Christian conference, right? Mm-hmm. Um, called the truth conference. Okay. Which is the Southern Baptist convention. It's also seems conference. ironic at this point. Mm, well, yeah. <laughs> details. Yeah. Um, but he was he was asked about Beth Moore and mm-hmm. I thought said some not so nice things and my opinion on the whole situation you can you can Google it very easily if you put those two there there are two names in Google I'm mm-hmm. sure it's the only thing that shows up yep but um, the the thing that I took away from it was like it's okay to disagree I mean I think I think Corey you and I in this podcast have disagreed oh multiple times but but yeah. how we um, as Christians can disagree mm-hmm. and still show respect and love to another mm-hmm. right regardless of what you think and no. and um yeah that's it it was around the topic of women preaching mm-hmm. yes um and he thought women should not preach and obviously beth moore is 
basically a woman preacher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, she's not a, she's not at a church and doing it full time, right? No, and and up till recently, she only preached and taught women. Yeah, and then apparently at a non-denominational church on an Easter Sunday, she preached the service, and that set the whole thing off. Yeah, oh, man. she yeah. got naughty. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> it's unfortunate that those sort of things mm-hmm. are um, divisive in mm-hmm. in the church because we see that plenty in the uh, secular world, and mm-hmm. and I don't know, right? Don't expect that in the church, yeah. I guess. Well, and and that stuff doesn't come out of the blue. Um, uh, I was raised in a church where we thought the Southern Baptists were liberals, which is, I think, fascinating. Mm. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. And we always try and we're get, we were always trying to get our Missouri Synod Lutheran grandmother saved. Oh yeah. Well, now she's in heaven snickering. Yes. I, I grew yes. up. Mer- I grew up Missouri Synod. So this is denomination. <laughs> Interesting. You know, yes. But you know, the, the the grandkid becomes a Lutheran pastor. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, yeah. Take that, evangelists. Yeah. Um, but seriously, um, I, I think there's there's background. I mean, I think MacArthur, from a standpoint of kindness, is out of line. Right. I also profoundly disagree with his position, but it doesn't come from nowhere. Um, I think, and I'm gonna I'm operating from my point of view, so this is my read of scripture. That I think all the way through scripture, um, you could see evidence of women leaders both in Old and New Testament, and mm-hmm. um, that means that I read the the passages about women and teaching or having authority a certain way. But just that and then the evidence of women leaders up to about 150, and then they disappear. Mm. Huh. And I chalk that up to assimilation into Roman culture, which was extremely yeah. patriarchal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and then they, they show up here and there, most of the time in revivals. Mm. Um, and, uh, um, and then um, we get, and this is really important because um, you have a couple things happening all at once, right, at the turn of the 20th century. You have the Pentecostal revival, and once yeah. again, women emerge as leaders, and, mm-hmm. and darn good ones. And then you have the fundamentalist modernist controversy, which is where uh, a modernist would be someone with a low view of Scripture at the time. Now, not mm-hmm. as low as, I mean, we would look at the whole fuss, and we would probably side with the other group. Uh, in other words, fundamentalists weren't fundamentalists, and modernists weren't modernists. They were kind of closer to each other. Yeah, But they still had a big... Uh, fight over who was going to control stuff and the modernist one kicked out the fundamentalists and so there was just incredible bad blood between the two groups modernists would be the historic denominations which would be Episcopalian uh, United Methodists are descendants from that uh, Presbyterian USA is descendants United Church of Christ mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, American Baptist churches all of those would be the so-called modernist denominations back then. Interesting. And then uh, the fundamentalists would have been everybody else. Um, and, and again, they got stung because they got tossed out of all their denominations and had to start new ones. Mm. Um, so that group starts ordaining women as well, but they do it for very different reasons than Pentecostals do. Pentecostals do it because they say the Spirit's working in, in, in Mary Sue. Right. I guess she's God's called her. So, yeah. and, and that's a Pentecostal thing. You start with experience and then, and then move there to Scripture to find what on earth is going on. Yeah. Where the modernists, um, they ordain women, and their reason is, well, we just think Paul is wrong. And so women pastors got bundled with a low view of Scripture in the minds of the fundamentalists. Interesting. Because that was their primary adversaries. Yeah. So women pastors was a sign of liberalism. I gotcha. And and, hmm. and, and th- there's nothing worse. The, the worst label uh, a fundamentalist or conservative Christian can call anybody else is a liberal. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's sort of the label for when, when they disagree with you. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah. Uh, what they did essentially is fundamentalists also didn't have much to do with Pentecostals because they were just scaring them because fundamentalists were sort of Northern Europeans and in no- and Northern U.S. people, and they were very emotionally cool in their worship and quite reserved. They initially were mostly Presbyterians and then uh, what we call free Methodists yeah. mm. uh, and then also like evangelical free. Um, and where Pentecostals were Southern and, 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 and rural and much more mostly emotionally expressive, so fundamentalists couldn't figure out which was worse, Pentecostals or liberals. <laughs> and I remember as a, as a kid getting these little uh, tracks where they would talk about Pentecostals being demon-possessed because, oh, because tongues didn't <sighs> exist anymore because of the oh, way we interpret Scripture. So whatever they're doing, it must be demonic. Yeah. You know, and, and we couldn't figure out was worth a godless liberal or a possessed Pentecostal. Oh, and both groups <laughs> have women pastors, so right. you can imagine what... Just, yeah. yeah, chaos. Yeah, yeah. and, and so... MacArthur comes out of the fundamentalist side. So for him, 
um, you know, women pastors are a sign that you, you are disregarding authority of Scripture. Hmm. And I that's why you. he's been referring to the Southern Baptists as they're heading liberal and, and, and they no longer believe in Scripture. Right. Yeah. He's getting way ahead of himself. The Southern Baptists don't ordain women pastors for starters. They themselves are all upset at Beth Moore. Yeah. Um, in fact, they had a whole conference that was supposed to focus on the abuse of women and children by Southern Baptist clergy. Mm-hmm. And then when word got out that Beth Moore uh, preached somewhere, it was like everybody stopped focusing on abuse and started focusing on how awful Beth Moore was. Again, yeah. again almost ironic. Like, yeah, really. You what? know, we're we're talking about sexual Gosh. abuse where kids are permanently damaged. Yeah, and yet all of a sudden their major theologians started thinking, well, it's probably more important that we focus on on Beth Moore. Man. Yeah. yeah. What? That's, yeah, and that's, that's so crazy. sad. And I and mm-hmm. that's that's a am- that's just amazing to me. Like the the track record of this mm-hmm. argument. Mm-hmm. Because it's been around for a long, long yeah, time, yeah. as you noted. Mm-hmm. And I think something that you said earlier too, Pastor Richard, which is mm-hmm. so good to take this event into our, our eyes today, is mm-hmm. that this is why people look at the church mm-hmm. and go, it's more of a divisive method yeah, yeah. than it is a unifying yeah. uh, entity. Yeah. And it's it's situations like this where someone who writes brilliant books like you're reading mm-hmm. and is a big name in Christian culture... Mm-hmm takes a stance like this against one of their own and now no one else outside of the church mm-hmm. or I would say who's who's aware of the history of women in the church mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who no one has that knowledge is now looking yeah. at us and going those those bigots. Yeah. 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 Now let me show you how God can take this. I mean I'm a firm believer of Romans eight, twenty eight, twenty nine. So Women, even in the circles I was was raised in, they all still were equally gifted in preaching and teaching. So where'd they go? They all went to Africa and founded churches. So Mm. the women actually became apostles and bishops in Africa. They didn't have those names, but they were functioning in that way, running around being like the Apostle Paul. Yeah. And for some bizarre reason, we were just fine as long as they did it somewhere else. Huh. You know, which again, I mean, there's just, that's positions completely indefensible, but yeah. God's like, you know, this is a mess, but I'm, I'm not going to so let true. my daughters, you know, be blocked from living out their calling. Yeah. Huh. Well, that's a, it, it, it's almost like, so it, I was telling these guys before the episode that I was talking to Pastor Ben, who was on a previous episode at lunch, and he mentioned that could be a whole nother episode of, of mm-hmm. the Stuff Jesus Said podcast yeah. on, <laughs> on what does Jesus say about women pastors and yeah. and maybe we'll get to that sometime but we'll, we'll kind <laughs> yeah. of yeah we digress we'll kinda, we'll we digress move. but you know uh, i kind of skipped over this for people who don't know pastor richard um do we want to kind of give a little background on, like do you want to say where you went to seminary you're you're currently getting another degree uh-huh. um do you oh, want to kind of give like where you kind of came from mm-hmm. and where w- what brought you to hope absolutely that, that your your religious background or your yep. christian background i'll see if i can do it in about like 30 seconds yeah yeah that works okay so i was baptized a lutheran um and my mm. parents went to uh, a very very hard liberal congregation uh and i don't think they really had much to think about theology is just where they went to church until mm-hmm. the pastor came out and said he didn't believe Jesus rose from the dead, nor was he God. And, and mm. that was a little too much for mom and dad. So we wound up after uh, we went to a Bible Presbyterian church, which is now PCA. And then we went to a, uh, a Baptist church, two of them that were part of the Baptist Bible fellowship, which is a sister denomination with the uh, general association of association of regular Baptists okay, uh, and quite conservative. Um, and then from there, jumped into a non-denom church where the pastor's from Dallas Theological Seminary, your alma yeah, mater. Yep. And well, then, sort of. Sort of. Yeah, you, you saw the light and came I, to Bethel. I, I bailed. <laughs> yes. you, you, you went from the English Baptist to the Swedish Baptist. Yes, I did. Um, and then from there, in, in uh, we moved to the Midwest and wound up in a charismatic United Methodist church. Mm. Um, <laughs> and then in college, I wound up in a Lutheran church. Okay. Uh, and... Uh, um, from there, kind of parked in the Lutheran denomination. Uh, when I was working as a music director and a fellowship director, I felt the call to seminary, wound up at Luther in St. Paul. Um, then the first call was at a congregation in Seattle. Second call was denominational headquarters as a specialist in ministry and postmodern culture and also worship and evangelism. Okay. And also uh, organizational focus for congregations. In other words, why are you there? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then wound up at Hope. Uh, yeah. It came uh, to Hope 19 years ago when we were a wee little church of yeah. 1900. 1900, uh, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. And so the degree you're, you, so you have your MDiv, right? And then mm-hmm. you're you're getting your doctorate in. Yeah, I'm my DMIN in. Um, well, it's a big. It, it's organic leadership development and. Okay based after the theories of Robert Clinton. He was a Fuller prof, Fuller mm-hmm. Seminary in Pasadena. Okay. And so there we are. Yeah. Awesome. Wild. Awesome. So now our listeners know a little bit about, and, mm-hmm. and I mean, and I've, I, I've known Richard for quite a while, so I, I know him well, but, but uh, I'm, I'm always learning. Corey's new. Now I'll tell you my pedigree. So I was, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have to work up to the doctorate someday. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Okay. So, what do you what do you got drinking over there, Corey? Yes, so I I imported a red stripe. Ooh, which hooray was, beer! Yeah, very good <laughs> model slogan. Yes, it's Jamaican. Um, so when we do mission work in Jamaica, mm-hmm. at the Robin's Nest, which mm-hmm. is associated with hope as well. Yeah, um, we, you know, that's like when you when you come down from the mountain and you have Jamaica's weird because if you just come and do missions the whole time, they they basically pin you at at the uh, border control and go like, no, nope, you're not allowed to come. So you have to say, oh, I'm here for tourism and show receipts from tourism. Oh. So when you come down from the mountain and you, you're on your way out, you just you mm-hmm. grab a red stripe and um, that's where it's originally brewed, right? Is It still yeah. is today okay. in Jamaica. So huh. it just kind of reminds me of the, the beautiful or- orphanage in, um, hmm. in Jamaica. Nice. So, yeah. Nice. I've got a Confluence uh, Blue Corn Lager Con Cheles, which... I, I cannot believe that you're still drinking this. I have am. you ever sipped yes. this? Just just the other day. So oh, yeah. Richard Richard came over uh last week and we talked theology for like two and a half hours or something. <laughs> and uh I gave him one of these. And oh. did, what do you what do you think of it? I liked it. It, really? it tastes basically like a a Mexican casserole in in a bottle. Yeah. It stings a little bit we're going down. Mm-hmm. I just chilies. don't know why you keep buying it. Uh, because it's fantastic. Yeah, 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 I love it. It's dude. Sorry, you know, it, if, if, <laughs> it's if, okay. If, I voted. Yeah, there's a lot of beers that I like that are people don't. Yeah, like. it's yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and Richard, what do you got? Well, I'm going to talk. I mean, at presently, I, I have just really finely distilled H2O. Um, <laughs> but um, I'll, I'll tell you what. I, I went to High V and I was picking up some wine, and and they had a big honking sale, and there had one wine that was five bucks, but it was. It, it, it was uh, what was it twelve ninety nine off? So I was thinking thirteen point eight, like seventeen buck wide. I yeah, mean, pretty good. Go for it. And then yeah. I then I oh, I cracked it open. Was it last night? And discovered why it was five bucks. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's called Living Dead Wine. Oh, oh so that, you know it has yeah. zombies on the front. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought okay, people aren't buying this because it's got a weird label. And I went no, people aren't buying this because it's a five dollar wine. It's <laughs> <laughs> hey, but, there's uh, there's some there's some steals you can get at five bucks yeah. but, uh, or two yeah two dollars two, two buck, buck chuck, chuck. <laughs> yeah yeah well and, and and you know the interesting thing is 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 two buck chuck uh, actually tastes better than two dollars mm-hmm. yeah yeah hey tj's uh, that's absolutely right mm-hmm. i know do we get paid for advertising this We've, yeah. we're still trying we're, we'll, we'll, we'll push this along to uh yeah yeah see see what people say mm-hmm. um okay let's move on to our topic here mm-hmm. um cory do you want to read one of the passages, it comes out of three different passages, this, this topic, um, from Matthew, Mark and Luke, and you're going to read the Matthew one, right? I am correct. Okay. Yep. So it's in Matthew, Mark and Luke, which pastor Richard might give us some background on here in a tiny bit, but I do have the Matthew chapter nine, verse 14 through 17 pulled up and here we go. Then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for that patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Okay, that's that's just the weirdest verse. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I mean, <sighs> so what it I mean, I understand the concept. Mm-hmm. I understand like, um, like you sew something on. I don't know what it has to do with fasting, but so here, here's here's the little thing that I think about. When I was a golf pro, mm-hmm. one of the things that we had to do was put up scoreboards for golf tournaments. And then we had to do like calligraphy on them and write players names and scores and everything. 
And if the weather was any humid, mm-hmm. we couldn't do the um, we couldn't put the 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 pieces of paper up on the boards right mm-hmm. away mm-hmm. because then they would like shrivel up and they would fold and everything and then you wouldn't be able to write on them and then they would like fall off the off the board off the wall right yeah. and so that's what i'm picturing with this mm-hmm. new wineskins because it's like if, if you put this it's like unshrunken or it's unadjusted to the the mm-hmm. environment but then i'm like i have no idea what that means to do with fast what it has to do with fasting mm-hmm. you know um well Actually, you have to you have to back up a bit to get the uh, to make sense of this. Okay, and, and that's a thing. A um, couple things that I think make sense, and, and I, I shall quote N.T. Wright and get mocked for this. Uh, <laughs> mocked by who? Yeah, oh, we're not mocking you. This is true. Oh, um, shall we say my colleagues mock? Okay, oh, uh, only if you share the podcast with them. Yes. There we are. There. Oh, they will laugh. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I think N.T. Wright has a good way of thinking about it. Is we often are looking for. We treat parables like morality tales or fairy tales, yeah. where what's the moral of the parable? Yeah. When there's a pattern that goes through all the, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke that Wright observed is that Jesus proclaims the kingdom of God, then he does the kingdom of God. There's usually some reaction by somebody, either surprise, confusion, or, or anger, and then he tells a parable where he's actually explaining what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And so the parables, and, and, and they're often in code where everybody on the ground understands who he's aiming at, but he, like he can't be sued. In other words, if if Pharaoh, if Pharaoh, if if Herod's soldiers are standing around, or Roman soldiers are standing around, they have no clue what's going on, right? Um, because you know, because there are several places where we see it where Jesus, it's where he basically eludes the authorities because it's not his time to be crucified, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so let's see how that works here. So if you're looking at Matthew, and, and I won't back, I mean, there's some shocking things, but I'm just going to park it at uh, Matthew, let me see, this is just, I think, earlier in, make sure I get in the right chapter, Matthew 9, and I'm at, at verse 9. Okay. This is the call of Matthew himself. Yeah. So as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and then we'll just stop there for a second. Um, Matthew is a despicable um, he is somebody who is a collaborator either with Herod's corrupt regime or with, um, with Rome. And either way, mm-hmm. these are the people who, who are taxing uh, the poor people to death right. mm-hmm. and, and basically keeping them in grinding poverty. And Matthew's a collaborator with that. Yeah. So the dude is hated by everybody. He's hated by the Pharisees. He's hated by the common people. Um, but the only people he gets along with would be his colleagues, right? You know, and and probably even his employers despise him because they know that he's he's, he's a traitor to his own people. Yeah. So and and all that, of course, a, a Jewish reader would read and go, ah. So he's sitting at the tax booth, you know, making money, and he and and Jesus says to him, "Follow me," and he gets up and follows him. Um, that's a big shock because he's making a boatload of money, and if he's working for the Romans, you don't quit the Romans. They're kind of like the mafia. Yeah. Right. Uh, you try quitting and they'll take you out and your family out to make a point. Yeah. And so Matthew um, is walking away from money and, and possibly encouraging a threat on his life and his family's life. Huh. So okay. th- this is a honking big deal. Um, so, uh, and, and, and so then the next thing he does is, um, is Matthew throws his monster party. And so we're at verse 10. As Jesus sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. Um, again, this is, is shocking. Um, and Luke makes a, a more coordinated distinction about this, uh, where he talks about them being, the term poor means any outsider. So Zacchaeus and Matthew would be, the slang would be poor, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. though they have a lot of money because nobody wants to deal with them. Matthew does it a different way where he has the four feisty faithful women in the genealogy. And genealogies are supposed to be male and they're supposed to be virtuous. And that's the beginning of the gospel. Yeah, right. And so Matthew subverts the genealogy with, you know, four mothers of Israel, starting with Tamar, Mm -hmm. you know, of of whom. Interesting choice. Yeah, yeah. And then it just rolls on from there, you know, with all these women who are, you know, society would regard as outcasts. And Matthew's making a point as a foreshadowing, saying these are, you know, these are the scary women of the Old Testament, and, and, and we don't know what to do with them in our very first century male-oriented society. 
Um, and, and it's a foreshadowing of people like Matthew. And so he's throwing this big honking party for collaborators, and then sinners is a generic term, once again, for outsiders. And yeah. basically anybody the Pharisees don't regard as either doctrinally pure or morally pure. Hmm. And for the Pharisees, everything's about purity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so all that's happening, and the Pharisees see that, and they say to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Um, it's, a, it's an interesting question, because um, here comes Jesus, and he's a wonder-working prophet. That would be their box for him. Mm-hmm. And they initially engage him like they think he may also be a Pharisee, um, yeah. because the Pharisee were initially the revival people of a century earlier. So here comes this revivalist prophet doing wonder-working, and they think he's one of them except he starts breaking rules they think he ought not to break. And one of them is a rabbi does not associate with unclean people like tax collectors and other sinners. Does this sound like uh, someone we just talked about before? Someone <laughs> someone who comes in breaking rules that they think shouldn't be broken? I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> just talking about what you're talking Say, about. I'm Matt. just saying. Yeah, I'm just saying. Anyway. anyway. <laughs> Yeah. Not saying she's Jesus, I'm just saying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hmm. yeah. Uh, a quick advertisement, she's going to be speaking at Lutheran Church of Hope mm-hmm. next year. Yeah, I saw that. What's, what's the date? In November? Yeah, November November 20th or something? Something like that, yep. Yeah. Almost a year from now. Just over so if you're a woman, because I think it's only a women's event, right? Yeah, it's a women's yeah. event. Yeah. Well, we, we like we like naughty Southern Baptists, so we had Jen Hatmaker about a year ago and, yeah. and, and packed the place. Um, yes, we like naughty people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so moving on. Um so all this happens, and then Jesus responds with a rather snarky response. I, I love that. Um, people read scripture so flatly, but you know, he, he says with dripping sarcasm, those who are well, with big fat quotes around right. well, uh, have no need for a physician, but those who are sick do. You know? And um, you know, he, he's sort of, sort of throwing their purity back in their face. Mm. And then he says, go learn th- what this means. And this is really like a hand grenade in the room. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come not to call the righteous, but the sinners. And they're righteous in their own minds. Yeah. Um, they, they've built up their own identity as the pure person. And so yeah. they, they think God owes them a solid, you know. That, yeah. that righteous could almost be in quotes as well. Yeah, massive. Right. Yeah. Yep, yep, exactly. And, and he's also going right into the prophetic tradition where, you know, God says, I hate your solemn assemblies. You know, I, you, you make me want to puke. You know, what I want you to see, you know, especially Isaiah, is this the fast that I asked for? Yeah. No, the fast is to let go of your, your you know, you, to treat your workers well and to treat the immigrant well and, to, and, and, and you know, and to treat the poor well. That's, a, that's the fast of, that I want. So Jesus is sort of pulling that tradition from Isaiah right into here. Mm. And he's comparing the Pharisees to the corrupt clergy of the time mm. um, of Isaiah. So now we come to the passage itself. So then the disciples of John came and said, why do we and the Pharisees fast often? And this is fascinating because John's disciples are fasting because they're preparing for the kingdom. The Pharisees are fasting because um, they think it'll win them brownie points in, in their purity. What is what is fasting viewed mm-hmm. as in the Old Testament? Well, um, it's actually a meditative technique. And what oh. it does is it creates space for you to spend time with God. Mm-hmm. It also creates lack. So in a very existential way, you experience hunger. Mm-hmm. And, and within that, you engage God. Okay. Um, there's all kinds of places where uh, people are preparing to pray and they have them fast first. It's also a symbol of mourning. And, and so you also fast when someone has died and yeah. you fast when there's spiritual death like sin. So okay. that's why fasting is often tied to repentance hmm. is it's a ritual way of grieving for what you've done. Hmm. Um, do you know when that was like introduced into like in the Old Testament? Like when, what was the? It shows up pretty early. Uh, I'm just going through my head to see if I can think of the first instance. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Because hmm. I'm just thinking about it. I, I know David fasted. Okay. Uh, and I'm guessing the prophets fasted before him. Yeah. Uh, well, you, you think of the kind of fast that Samson did. I'm just going f- earlier. There's no, like, Abraham? Um, no, I don't think in the Abraham-Isaac-Jacob uh-huh. cycle there's fasting going okay. on. Okay. So, so I guess I guess the root of my question is, like, does the definition mm-hmm. or the purpose of fasting, mm-hmm. does it change between the Old and the New Testament? Like, mm-hmm. like is Jesus changing the, uh, 
the purpose of it, not the, the really. understanding of it. I don't think so, because if you read in the book of Acts, people are fasting for roughly the same reasons they are in the Old Testament. Okay. So what I think is going to happen is this. Um, he is, remember, so John's disciples are fasting for the kingdom to come, and the, and the Pharisees are fasting just for stinky reasons. Okay. And Jesus basically takes into account both. So what he says is the wedding guests cannot mourn. Remember, fasting is a ritual mourning. Mm-hmm. As long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? That's very big because he's claiming to be the bridegroom. And when you use wedding language in the Old Testament and then in the, in the middle t- period between the Testaments, mm-hmm. that's another way of talking about when the kingdom of God comes. Okay. So John's disciples are fasting for the kingdom of God to come, but it's come in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And the Pharisees are fasting just to be pure, pure. Yeah. So he's really addressing John's disciples more than the Pharisees. And, and he's saying, I'm here. The party's going on. And he just came from a party with Matthew's friends. So quick question right yeah. there. What, mm-hmm. do you, what do you think the timeline is of this? Because I'm just trying to think. Mm-hmm. You know, He mm-hmm. was at this party with Matthew, the tax collectors, the outcasts. Uh-huh. And then uh-huh. all of a sudden, John's disciples came. Like, were they already near mm-hmm. to him and around? Were they just in the area? Did like uh-huh. what? What was the timeline? Do you think this is tricky? Because if you look at the three Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they mess with the timeline. Yeah. So, best way I can put it, obviously, God's the author of the whole thing. So, God's messing with the timeline. Yeah. Um, is that God inspired Matthew to arrange stories in a certain way to make a point? And he inspired Mark to arrange them in a different way. Mark's is probably the close to what we modern Westerners would call historical. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that just real quick because I want to make sure that, that we're respecting the, the authority of Scripture here. Yeah. Is a first century reader would not expect a tight chronological timeline like a 21st century reader would. Right. Mm. They knew how to do it. It's just this wasn't the kind of literature you would do it with. Right. Yeah. And, and, um, and so you, you arrange things in order to make a point, and that wasn't pulling a fast one on the reader. Okay. Um, part of it is there were too many eyewitnesses around, so Matthew couldn't have faked it. Right. Um, and John's probably the latest gospel writer at about 90, but even then someone might have been still around. Yeah. So, so, so that's an important thing, that that was a thing that was okay to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think what Matthew does is he pairs um, the wineskins with there's a, a banquet right before it. So you think it's a literary pairing rather than a chronological pairing. Sure. Does makes mm, sense? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So he, he sets up the big old party with the wrong people and mm-hmm. the and, and 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 you know Jesus a bit before then forgave sins. So from the Pharisees attitude, they're dealing with a man who clearly by his behavior thinks he's God. They don't think he is, but he does. Right. Because he's forgiving sins and and you know that's what God does. <laughs> yeah. And then now this person who claims to be have the authority to forgive sins and refers to himself as son of man, which is a title that everybody would have seen as shorthand for Messiah, mm-hmm. you know, is now hanging around with the very people that would disqualify you from being a Messiah as far as yeah. the Pharisees are concerned. Yeah. So he's, you know, to, to shift metaphors, he ain't fit in the box. Right. So, so now we get, so he, he makes all these claims because he's the bridegroom throwing the wedding party. That's what happens when Israel's God comes to restore things. So he's made a huge claim on who he is and what he's doing just by, by saying it that way. Mm-hmm. And then he says the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. And I think that could validly be interpreted either as the crucifixion or as the ascension. You know, either way, it's. Now, like this time post post resurrection, because again, if you look at the Book of Acts, they're fasting. Paul yep. fasts, you know. So mm-hmm. you know, we could, I think, safely say Jesus is either talking about his death and resurrection, or he's talking about his ascension, or possibly both. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he gets in, and, and, and oh, he says, "No one show, sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old cloak, for the patch will pull away from the cloak, and the and the worst tear is made." In other words. He, he's calling into question the adequacy of the Pharisees' boxes to make sense of him. In other okay. words, the way you read Scripture and the way you think of Judaism cannot make sense of me. Let me give you an example. Hmm. Um, to steal our, our church's mission statement, the mission of Israel was to reach out in the world and share the everlasting love of, of Israel's God. 
that's you know that's the original promise to Abraham and Sarah, right? I'm going to make you a great nation. You'll be blessed, and all the nations yeah. of the earth will be blessed through you. Yeah. You are for the rest of the world. I'm going to put the planet back together through you. Yeah. So Israel always had a mission for the rest of the world. They they were elect for the sake of the Gentiles. Um, is again, I was reading that Israel's election was not for privilege but for assignment. And then what happens is that begins to change. So by the time you get to the second temple, the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, the emphasis is shifting from reaching out into the world, and it's shifting to withdraw from the world and and remain pure. And then the vision of the end time stops being Isaiah's vision of Israel, my people, Egypt, my my firstborn, and, and Babylon, you know, my beloved. That's, I think, all in Isaiah 19, where he, he uses the names of Israel for, for Gentile nations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and uh, you know, and, and, and so that's the whole point. But by the time you get the first century, the whole point is not that God's going to restore the whole world to become his people, but that he's going to slaughter the Gentiles and only Israel will be left standing. Or a kinder, gentler version is he will reduce the Gentiles to Israel's slaves. Hmm. You know, so there's now they have a, a, an end times theology of bitterness rather than an end times theology of restoration, yeah. or it's a revenge theology. Right. Yeah. So here comes Jesus, and he is actually reestablishing Isaiah's vision because the, the outsiders, the, the tax collectors, and the, um, and the notorious sinners, you know, and even hanging with a Roman soldier, you know, uh, where he says, nowhere have I found faith in all of Israel like this Gentile. Yeah. I mean, th- those are going right back to orig- uh, Isaiah's original vision, God's original vision for Israel. But the Pharisees' vision, I mean, Jesus is just shredding it. Mm. Now, so they are, so it's ironic that he says old wineskins because actually they're not that old. Right. Let's get a little bit of sarcasm. Yeah. So the mm-hmm. the um, Pharisees are the old wineskins. Yeah. Is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really I really like the, the, the phrase that's sticking out to me that you said was Israel's correct me if I'm wrong Israel's calling was an assignment not a of privilege right yep and and so it starts out as assignment Pharisees go to privilege Jesus tries to bring it back to assignment exactly and and so as the the assignment is the new Uh patch Uh Uh and the privilege is the old patch right 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 and 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 again it's hard to parse out which exactly, but Jesus is creating an image of, of dissonance between two different kinds of materials. Yeah. And he's making it very clear he's one kind and the Pharisees are another. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> and, and then when he talks about new wine, um, I just laughed. Do like, you got something? It's just funny to me. Like uh-huh. you said, like he's making it very clear and it's like back then, maybe when I, when, when I read this, I'm <laughs> yeah. like, what? Like I, uh-huh. I can't make half these connections that are going right. on. That was just funny to me because I but was like, Whoa. right, right. But it, it's, I mean, it's making more sense already. Oh me. yeah, absolutely. I mean, I could, I could even jump to like, mm-hmm. um, the Last Supper and and Jesus, uh, the Great Commission, and all these mm-hmm. things where mm-hmm. Jesus is making a new deal. Yeah, like yeah. His, his the new language mm-hmm. and the and the new patch compared mm-hmm. to the old patch mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. the, I mean, basically the old and the New Testament. It's almost like this. Not that the Old and New Testament are separate, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but that he's are making a new a covenant with you. Yeah, and and um, and, and all the way again through the prophets, I, I, God says, "I'm making a new thing." Yeah, you know, and a new covenant, and and, and I will, you know, I, I will make a new Israel, you know, and all the way on new, 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 new. Yeah. Um, now, new is interesting because it doesn't; it, it it still springs from the old. The best way to understand when the Bible says new is to think of like a oh, I don't know a 1965 Mustang, right? Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. when it comes straight out of the factory, if we, it looks one way. But then, when somebody takes a lot of love and restores it, it looks better than when it rolled off the factory. Yeah, the paint's okay. better, the chrome yeah. is better. You know, yeah, everything's yeah. better, even though it's still a Mustang. Yeah, um, it's kind of like upgraded. Yeah, massively so. And yeah. and so that's I mean, and that's all. The resurrection is the same thing. There's that same newness where we'll mm. you'll still be Eric, but man, you'll be better than the original yeah, factory specs. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know, okay. um, the other thing, and I think this makes sense to why this is so perplexing, mm-hmm. is there's a tendency again for I think uh, modern Protestant Christians to read the parable in isolation, like it in itself contains its own meaning. Yes, and, mm. and then it's like we're puzzled because it 
it it de- it depends on what's gone before, and in this case, on the the, the banquet before. But then you got to know what a banquet is. Mm-hmm. A, a way to put it, and I think this, in order to make sense of the Gospels, you have to know the Old Testament. Um, or as N.T. Wright said, is Jesus is the conclusion to the Old Testament story. He's the yeah. climax. Yeah. In fact, look, that's Luke's language when he says fulfillment. That's what a climax is, right? Okay. Then the problem is, very quickly, again, we're talking, unfortunately, in about the 150 and further, um, as the church gentilizes, uh, the Gentiles begin to regard the Old Testament as as unimportant to the Jesus story. Hmm. So then you have a climax in search of a story. And then Jesus just floats up in the air, and and nobody knows what his point is other than he'll get you a nice afterlife. Why is it that the Gentiles become separated from the Israel story? I think several things. and I know um, that, of course, early on, Jesus' followers himself are persecuted by the Jerusalem establishment as well as mm-hmm. Rome. Yeah. And, um, you know, that Revelation is written to, to, in many ways to, to strengthen and encourage uh, disciples under fire from the Jerusalem establishment. Paul himself, of course, you know, got a, an arrest warrant from Jerusalem to, yeah. you know, arrest Christians and probably have them tortured and killed. So there's no love between Jerusalem and the new Jesus followers. Because yeah. Jerusalem is the one going after us. Um, and so um, the other thing, of course, we see in Galatians where you have uh, Christians. Uh, of course, right now it's Christianity is not a new religion until around 70 AD after the temple is destroyed. Um, so everybody is initially a Jew all the way through until yeah. you get Cornelius. So probably for the first 15 to 20 years, the Jesus movement is a Jewish movement. Yeah. And it was regarded by the Pharisees as maybe a heresy, but it was a Jewish heresy. So they mm. were still Jews, albeit really, really screwed up as far as the heresies, right. the Pharisees mm. were concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you get even the internal divisions in both, you see it in the, in the book of Romans, the book of Galatians, and then the book of Revelation, where you've got immense pressure by some Christians, pressuring new Gentile Christians, that you, you, you can follow Jesus, but first you've got to become kosher. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and so you've got to be circumcised, which, of course, Paul goes nuts over that. Mm-hmm. And also, um, you know, you've got to start eating kosher. You've got to separate yourself from Gentiles. And this is a real problem for all these Gentile Christians. How, how are they supposed to separate themselves from their own families? Yeah. And, and so it's, it's threatening to blow the church up. It gets resolved in the book of Acts. Um, but there's bitterness left. And then very quickly, of course, because there are more Gentiles than Jews, as they evangelize, you know, pretty soon there's a tipping point, and now the Gentiles are running the show, not the Jews. Jerusalem mm-hmm. is no longer the center of things. Antioch and Rome are, are competing to be centers. Yeah. And um, then finally, um, basically, um, the Gentiles start enacting anti-Jewish laws. For example, if a, if a Christian worships on Saturday, they're excommunicated. If a Christian keeps kosher, they're excommunicated. Mm-hmm. If a Christian gets circumcised, they're excommunicated. Just anti-everything. Yeah, they just flip it on its head. Right. So now we have Gentile legalism against the Jews. Hmm. And at this point comes a natural devaluing of the Old Testament. Hmm. And, and it begins to be reduced to sort of morality tales to illustrate the New Testament. Right. Yeah. Huh. Hmm. There's a lot to digest there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that went so by a little many, fast. Sorry, no, 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 questions no, just good, just good. spawning mm-hmm. from that right now. Yeah, um, but I'm going to bring it back to the text because I, yeah. I love uh-huh. that. Uh-huh. So, as I'm still comprehending, mm-hmm. the old wineskins are a reference to these Pharisees. Yeah, yeah. And so the new is—is is there any imagery or 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 word word meaning going in with with the new wine? So, like, when you mm-hmm. pour mm-hmm. new wine mm-hmm. into those, so what's that reference specifically? Well, you think about it. Behold, I am doing a new thing, and Jesus mm-hmm. is the new thing of Isaiah's prophecies. Mm-hmm. And and so he's, I mean, when you think of the new wine, good gracious, look who's populating his new kingdom. And, and he's symbolically, and this is another topic, but the way he's pulling his people together, it's very clear that Jesus intends to start Israel 2.0 which is already a huge slam on Israel yeah. 1.0. Right. Yeah. And so Israel 2.0 is the new wineskins. Yeah. 
Um, and his kingdom is bizarre because it's got all the wrong people. Right. The tax collectors that we just talked yeah, about, yeah. the mm-hmm. sinners, the outcasts, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. poor who are the needy. And, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I'm going to jump gospels for a second, uh, which is always fun. But think about Zacchaeus for a second. Jesus never calls him to repentance. Mm. What he does do is call him into relationship, and a shocking relationship. A rabbi declares publicly he's Zacchaeus' friend by saying, I want to come to your house for a meal. And, mm. and, and that act is the transformative act that changes Zacchaeus' life, not a shaming him or a listing of his sins. That is a great sermon. <laughs> that, like, yeah. I, I want to preach that sometime. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Holy it, cow. That yeah. was, that's, it's not even about old wineskins right now. And that I was know, great. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go back and, and connect it to Matthew. And, and so it, it, so something similar happens to Matthew, but it's a way shorter story. Um, Matthew's hated by everybody around him. Chances are when Jesus walked up to him, he went, oh, a rabbi, great. This will ruin my day. He's probably expecting to be scolded. Um, you know, and, and, and to be hassled a bit before he's finally paid, he's, you know, his taxes by Jesus and his disciples. But basically, he's going to ruin Matthew's day. You're right. He's, you know, he's, he fully expects to be shamed. Do you think... We, oh, God. Well, I was just going to say, I think before we hit record, we talked about, like, if uh, what what other what non-believers think about christians mm-hmm, right now mm-hmm, right and 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 how that is kind of the attitude is mm-hmm, that like oh mm-hmm. if a christian comes up to me i'm gonna get lectured by how i'm the worst and how i need to change things mm-hmm, rather than just mm-hmm. like hey you want to come over to, for dinner yeah you know like yeah and and actually be your friend before i'm trying to like change right. you mm-hmm. Or change you at all? You know? Yeah, yeah. When when we are when we go out into the world, we're not called to fix people. We're called to introduce them to Jesus. Right. Um, not only that, the inherent meaning of gospel is good news, but most people encounter us as bad news. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which almost mm-hmm. goes back to like how you were saying mm-hmm. how the Gentiles become removed from the assignment mm-hmm. uh the israel and Gen- the gentiles get get removed mm-hmm. it's kind of the same thing it's mm-hmm. like that's that thing is happening now how we're uh-huh. we're saying like oh no longer are, we're mm-hmm. you know christians are the privileged ones and mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. we're privileged we're not assigned mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to go and have a, yeah. have dinner with you you know well and it's interesting um after the fundamentalist modernist controversy Basically, the fundamentalists went on a purity project, mostly pure doctrine, but also pure morality. Hmm. And um, whether you're a fundamentalist or, or modernist, which we now call liberal or mainline or, or skeptical to me is probably a more clean term, um, the, um, we, both groups enjoyed cultural privilege. Uh, we were basically the, the, the nation's chaplains, for better or for worse. Um, and then in the 60s... Um, we began to lose cultural power slowly, and, and then that accelerated in the 80s. Um, mm. And at that point, we started freaking out because we couldn't call the shots. You know, whether you prayed or not in public school, that was our turf, and then we lost the turf. Uh, whether you bought alcohol on Sundays, that was our turf, and we lost the turf. Whether you could go to movies on Sundays, and we lost that turf. You know, and while these are small things, they were symbols that we were no longer culturally regarded. Mm-hmm. So we start freaking out, and we move from a purity project to let's take over the country for Jesus project. Mm-hmm. And, well, if history has taught us anything, when the church tries to take over a culture, the culture takes the church over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the position of the Pharisees. Um, because mm-hmm. when push comes to shove, the, the Pharisees, who are the purity people, make common cause with the Jerusalem establishment, which is corrupt and violent, to get rid of Jesus. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. They don't even drink their own Kool-Aid at the end. Right. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, 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 and finally, you know, good old Karl Marx is right. It's all about power, baby. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, oh. or, you know, the more biblical way is in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Yeah, yeah. So so is, is Jesus essentially saying with this phrasing and usage of the wineskins, he's, mm-hmm. he's basically saying what I am bringing mm-hmm. does not and will not sit well with you to the point that like we're not basically where we're at and what I'm bringing, like we're not going to work well together. 
yeah we're, and, and yeah. he's kind of like telling him off in a, in a way right through this yeah, is yeah but but and I, but I go back to because he's you know he's mm-hmm. he's really responding to John's disciples here because mm-hmm. so are they coming in with kind of a like this isn't fair attitude like this isn't fair why do your why do your mm-hmm. guys not have to fast and and we do and the mm-hmm. Pharisees do mm-hmm. and he's like what I'm bringing doesn't mm-hmm. fit with what they're doing yeah. And again, I don't think he's aiming at John's disciples, but he's aiming at the Pharisees right. mixed in with them. Um, but he's gently telling John's disciples to go act more like John. Yeah. Um, because they're getting all turfy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and um, the other thing is the wineskin burst is, is a big symbol. Uh, something about Jewish literature is in, in um, modern Western literature, we want uh, words to have a single meaning. Mm. Where in Jewish literature, you packed as much meaning into a single word or phrase or metaphor as possible. So when you think of the bursting, well, what bursts? Well, the first burst is the crucifixion. In other words, things come to a crisis and blow, right? Mm-hmm. And then the, the next explosion is probably the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Because mm. Jesus warns and says, if you, go, if you take the Romans on, which is, in other words, if you think the Messiah is all about power then, yeah, you'll be taken out. And that's pretty well, I was it Mark 14 or Mark 11? I can't remember which. And, and so he, he predicts the destruction of Jerusalem. And sure enough, um, they go and take the Romans on, and the Romans nuke them. You know, so uh, the old wineskins, you know, it's almost a Dr. Phil, how's that working for you? Yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah. So, so is this, good. I mean... He's obviously said this, right? Maybe not obviously, but mm-hmm. he's said this knowing that they're not going to get what he said. Is there a little bit of like mm-hmm. just toying with him? Like, you know, like... Not not in the sense just, of... Do they get the fullness of what he's saying? Yeah, they'd get it all and they would be completely outraged. Yeah, okay. Yeah, they get that he's claiming to be the bridegroom of the great wedding banquet, which means he is he is Yahweh, Israel's God, come to restore all things in the kingdom. But would they see themselves as the old wineskins and him as the new wineskin? Like, is is the they they would see that? They would see that's what Jesus is attempting to do. Okay. Yeah. And they would be profoundly would offended. offended. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. The, the thing that popped to mind, like I kind of related back to to uh, Joseph, right? Who had this dream of like I'm the. Um, well, I got to get this right now that I'm saying <laughs> I am. What was it? I'm the, I'm the sun and you, I like you they are bow down. You, to, yeah. You're the stars down. and you're bowing down to me. Right. And, yeah. and like the guys hear that, they go, Whoa, like that's, what are you trying to tell me, Joseph? Right. I think the yeah, same yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. sort of, you know, incivility yeah. is going on here with yeah. the Pharisees. too. Yeah. You know, in other words, you know, Joseph's brothers thought he was a punk and Joseph was a punk. Right. The Pharisee seen Jesus as a punk, but he's the real deal. <laughs> right. Okay. So, uh, this shows up in Matthew nine, Mark uh-huh. two and Luke five. Uh-huh. Are they all the si- same situation? Oh, you've asked an interesting question. Um, so the way I would put it is, and, and this is this is very common in the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is you will have different setups, and then when Jesus responds, the words will be almost identical in, in the original Greek. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that led people to think that, that th- again, th- that there's this, this art that um, the authors are doing to, to set up to make different points. Um, now, if you happen to have a high view of Scripture, there are different complementary points. Mm. If you have a low view of Scripture, or you're skeptical of Scripture, then you have a you have a sense that it's incoherent and contradictory. Yeah. And when I read it, what I see is like three different movie camera angles. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've ever uh, watched like a setup for uh, on on a TV show or movie, and like just ninety seconds is like twenty three shots. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and that gets you this sense of being in it. Yeah. So that's one way to look at it. The other is uh, Lee Strobel in The Case for Christ talks about this, that if you had an incident with, with witnesses, say a car accident, and they all said identically the same thing, what would a jury conclude? They they corroborated it. They they all talked about it beforehand. And mm-hmm. yeah. And it's, and it's rigged. And you would, yeah. you, you would doubt they were telling the truth. Yeah. Yep. Where if you have three people telling the same story with, with different details, that actually increases its veracity. Mm-hmm. You know, so our doctrine of scripture has often gotten in the way where we need it to be a certain way that actually makes it 
um, incredible or uncredible to uh, to non-Christian readers. Mm-hmm. In other words, why would we have three gospels that say exactly the same thing? What would be the point? Yeah, it makes you sense. know. But but the Spirit brings together three complementary tellings. So what is mm-hmm. what two two of them are? Let's mm-hmm. see. There's a discussion about fasting. Jesus calls Matthew. The discussion about fast, fasting is the progression in Matthew nine. Mm-hmm. Mark nine is. Jesus calls Matthew, then discussion about fasting. Luke, Luke is the same. So it, it, what are the, are there, are there differences between, I just quick looking at them. Was there a, um, well, they kind of hit the same thing, mm-hmm. but they just have the different details, right? They're not, yeah, they're not yeah. like completely isolated situations. No, they're, uh-uh. Okay. They're, think of variations on a theme, but the theme's recognizable. Yes. Okay. So what would be interesting, I'm going to go to Mark 2. So what happens right before Mark 2 is you have... Now, this one is, is, is the same as, as Matthew. Um, Jesus calls Levi, who's Matthew, and then they have a big old party. Mm-hmm. And right before it is the forgiveness of sins. Matthew mm-hmm. and... So let's take a look at Luke 5, which has the same one. So let's go here. Oops, I'm, I'm in the wrong one. Hang on. Um, let's go to fasting. So here we go, Luke 5, 33. Um, then they said John's disciples, like the disciples of Pharisees, at this point, it's the Matthew and Luke have a generic they, so it could be, but they're being less specific. Where Matt, I mean, Mark and Luke, Matthew is very specifically, it's John's disciples asking the question. Hmm. Again, those are variations that are are non contradictory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Okay, so to kind of kind of to wrap these things up and mm-hmm. the, the the idea, how would you, in this new old wineskins thing, uh-huh, uh-huh. how would we say that today? Like, what's what's the modern mm-hmm. like? Not to retranslate it, but to uh-huh. say like, okay, let's kind of get the gist of it in uh-huh. like n- uh-huh. normal dumbed down language. Yep, I'm going to use business language. A Ooh, really okay. good business is a learning business. And it's what they call situationally agile. In other words, it can move with the market. It can move with trends. It can move with crises and supply, with new innovations, because it's always adapting. It's an adapting business. Okay. And they succeed. Um, By contrast, you have a business that is really big and clunky like an elephant and can hardly move, and, and, and it actually goes into crisis. The best example would be the IBM Corporation. Mm-hmm. And there's this wonderful quote when there's this big innovation by this guy named Bill Gates, mm-hmm. and, and um, you know, and, and he he wants to, um, I think he wants to get IBM's backing on DOS software, which is for the personal computer. And the famous thing is the IBM CEO says, at this point in time, we do not see any use for for, for personal computing. Mm-hmm. And that begins the fall of IBM yeah. right? because they become organizationally rigid. Yeah. Okay. So this is precisely the same thing as the Pharisees were initially this revival movement trying to bring people back to faith in Israel's God with a relationship with Israel's God. It sounded very much like evangelical Christians, you know. Yeah. They were the good guys at the beginning. And then they slowly began to uh, petrify like petrified wood mm-hmm. to the point where they became brittle and rigid and it was all about purity and purity is this static thing where we know that we're pure. Who are you? So purity is defined by the insiders. Mm-hmm. So everything is about keeping the insiders inside and the outsiders out. Yeah. Um, and because of that, even though their doctrine was fine, um, they you know completely missed Jesus. Yeah. A really scary example is all the born again Christians from South Africa who were shooting black South Africans in the back at the Sharpeville massacre. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You know, their doctrine looks fine. But something's gone so horribly wrong yeah. that they're shooting Christians who are of a different skin color in the back. Wow. Yeah. Huh. You got you got a uh, shot at it? Yeah. I mean, I just I'm trying to just really take take what Pastor. I'm my mind is going so many different so, uh, ways yeah. here. Uh, yeah. So so when I I'll, I'll give you time to th- okay. think on it. Okay. I'm I'm stuck on this like. Hey, the party's over here. Oh, like almost like, hey, the party's actually <laughs> over here. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's what he's saying. It's it's yeah, a, it's yeah. a kingdom, and if we're thinking of the kingdom as like, I think I'm thinking the great banquet. You know, like uh-huh, if uh-huh. it's if it's a party thing, like, hey, you're missing the party. The party's actually over here. Yeah, yeah. You're 
we're 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 in two different spots. Yeah, yeah. And we're kind of moving in two different directions as well. You know, Mm -hmm. like your your Mm -hmm. party may be like um, exclusive and stagnant, Mm -hmm. but ours is like everyone's everyone's joining Mm -hmm. in. It's like moving down the streets in Mm this, you know. Big old parade, per- parade, and and like that's what you want to be a part of. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. But they're moving in like two different directions. And yeah, they're yeah. they're that one's one's just like stuck, and the other's pulling away yeah, and, yeah. and going down the street. Yeah. That I don't. Mm-hmm. It, that's not really a good translation, but that's that's the imagery I'm getting from what you're that's saying. That's very accurate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It is 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 what defines the party. Yeah. Let me yeah. up the ante. Um, what the Pharisees were being pure for was the second coming. Mm-hmm. In other words, their ver- in other words, when Israel's God would come and restore all things, and Jesus was claiming to be precisely that, and it was mm-hmm. the furthest thing from the Pharisees' imagination, mm-hmm. because the Pharisees expected Yahweh to come and bless them for being so pure, and then kill all their enemies. Yeah, and instead Jesus is partying with their enemies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have any? Do you have any heavy? put something together yeah i'm just i'm just filtering kind of what pastor richard's been saying and there's just some lines that stick out and thoughts that stick out so as i see this translating Mm -hmm. into our world today i I see kind of these warnings in it Mm -hmm. for us as christians so Mm -hmm. one is is like don't become a rigid christian Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. someone as as we've been taught that gets stuck in the the fundamental side of things Mm -hmm. or gets stuck in Mm -hmm. the pharisee side where you just kind of only believe what mm-hmm. you think mm-hmm. is the the way and then you kind of shake your finger at everybody yeah, else yeah. and say well you know your jesus doesn't fit with my jesus mm-hmm. so we don't mm-hmm. get along which brings me back to beth moore and mm-hmm. and our yeah john yeah. john macarthur from earlier it's like that's uh-huh. what's like we can't get along because it's not the same jesus and it mm-hmm. yeah. goes back to all the denominations that you listed earlier that yeah. you like went in and out of coming mm-hmm. apart and i think it's the most critical peace for where we're at today uh-huh. in uh-huh. this current place as Christians yeah, together yeah, is yeah. like we can't be shaking a finger at each other because someone does it a little bit different but we have to be willing to come together outside of mm-hmm. this rigidness that can yep. we can all get caught in at times yeah. Yeah. the other thing is we need to fall in love again with the outsiders yes and um, you know it's again we got to learn how to wash feet better and, and we've got to, we've got to, to, I think, also repent of our idolatry of power. Mm. Um, Rick Warren said something I thought was fascinating. I, I can't remember. Was it Proposition Eight that d- was that where um, that basically overrid California's marriage, same-sex marriage? Mm. Well, I don't know. I know whatever proposition it was. Rick Warren's church, Saddleback, got together with the Mormons and basically pushed the. Re- you know, prop eight through. Mm. And then Warren was, uh, I think he was on an interview somewhere with like CNN. Mm -hmm. And he said that when that happens, suddenly um, every relationship that his members had with any gay and lesbian person just went. Yeah. And and all of a sudden there was no way that they could even get someone from the LGBTQ community to listen to them about Jesus. Mm. And then he said publicly, I was wrong. Mm. Because basically by pushing through prop eight, he said, we're either going to persuade you to be like us or we're going to use the force of the state to be yeah. like us. Mm-mm. Yeah. And which means all that great stuff, just kidding. Right. And they yeah. forgot the relationships. Mm-hmm. They, they tried to force mm-hmm. their cards mm-hmm. and tell them how it is. And they forgot mm-hmm. the relationships. And I think mm-hmm. looking at Jesus in this setting, mm-hmm. right? He, mm-hmm. I think he's reminding John's disciples mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. Kind of like you said, like, yep. Hey, yep. don't, don't be trying to tell us where your turf's at. Like, mm-hmm. Get mm-hmm. back to relationships. That's why we're eating with the tax collectors mm-hmm. and the outsiders right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and again, transformation happened because they hung around Jesus, not because someone tried to fix them. Yeah. yeah. And and the Pharisees couldn't make sense of that. They just didn't have the mental furniture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I you know, so I, I, re- I recently the um, Valley Church here in town had the Good for All conference. Mm-hmm which was all about being a good neighbor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was just so inspired, re-inspired really to just think of, think of relationships that yeah. way that, yeah. that that's not only your physical neighbor, uh-huh. but uh-huh. it's this idea that everyone around you really is mm-hmm. in your neighborhood, right? And this yeah. is your town, your city. And, um, <laughs> and I got to listen to Bob Goff again, who's like just one of my like favorite yeah. motivational, yeah. you know, he's, he's not, he, he admits, he's like, I'm not a theologian. I'm not here to, 
to preach mm-hmm. the true doctrine and whatever. He's like, but I'm, I'm here to motivate us to, mm-hmm. to be good neighbors. And, mm-hmm. um, just the way that I've seen him live his life, yeah. uh, you know, over in Iraq and doing, mm-hmm. doing women's work there and, and going to the mm-hmm. front lines, the battle, mm-hmm. like the guy is insane. And, but I think he's, he's living this out, this exact yeah. Yeah. Piece. He's, he's not an old wineskin. Like he could be. Mm-hmm. Like this guy could be. He's a he's a lawyer. He's affluent. He he could have his own way and his own uh-huh, idea of uh-huh, Jesus. But uh-huh. he he's not. Yep. He's not an old wineskin. He has made himself new mm-hmm. um, to be able to expand with what's coming and reminded us of mm-hmm. the most essential part mm-hmm. yeah. of Jesus' ministry, which is yeah. love your neighbor. Yeah. I think we've we could probably go another couple hours on this. Yeah, it's true. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think we kind of put a bow on that, and we've mm-hmm. we've. Uh, yeah, that I learned a lot this last hour or so. So, thank you for being here, Pastor Absolutely, Richard. Absolutely, Pastor I, th- Richard. I think this is not the uh, last time we're going to have Pastor Richard on this on this <laughs> podcast as long as he'll he'll join us. Oh, this is a blast. So, yeah, okay. um, we're going to preview our next one real quick. Uh, do you want to say anything about it? You want me just to? No, you can. This was Eric, Eric's pick. We usually go back and forth, so we we were in a little rush. It's okay. This has been on our list to come back to. Yeah, we're gonna Eric, we're gonna do uh, take up your cross and follow me. It's in Matthew ten, um, and so that's gonna be our next one. Yeah, dig in early, start getting into it. Bring your thoughts. E- email us now email at stuff, stuff Jesus, Jesus said podcast, podcast at gmail dot com or tweet us. us and yeah, um, yeah. Do you have anything else to say? I don't think so. I, I think I'm going to be thinking about this for quite a while here and re-listening. Yes. yes. And I, I hope everyone else out there is to re-listen, dig in, because I think Pastor Richard brought some amazing content. Yes. Thank you for being here. Oh, it's so a pleasure. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, we'll talk to you soon. All right. See ya. See ya. <laughs>